Do you feel you're a late bloomer? Are you scared that because of your age, you can't start a new dream and achieve the things you always wanted to? Today's guest calls herself the renegade boomer. She started a brand new life and a multi-million dollar career for herself in her 50s and now works to shift the minds of late bloomers everywhere to know it's never too late to start to achieve your dreams because of your age. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love, trust, and know yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Tina Lorenz. She's a copywriter, marketing strategist, mindset shifter, coach, and podcaster. She's known for her appearances on Montel Williams' podcast, ABC, and stages across the world as a speaker. Tina has an incredible story, going from a tough childhood and an abusive relationship to getting the strength to leave that relationship, heal, and start her own business from the ground up. She started her copywriting business in her 50s with no prior experience and no real big career to that point. When she did start, Tina generated over $4 million in sales with a million-dollar profit in just 30 days for one of her very first clients. She is proof that wild success can come at any age and the magic of being in creative flow. From today's chat, you'll learn the power of being a late bloomer, the spiritual component of success, how to use your creativity to move through and heal from trauma, how to grow and mature a business from the ground up, how to lean into the feeling of fear, and so much more. It's a truly inspiring conversation that I cannot wait to share with you. Now here she is, the incredible Tina Lorenz. You reinvented yourself and made yourself a multimillionaire in your 50s. But before we get into that, I would love to talk about your life before that, because I think it's important for people to hear and to know that everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to start or restart. And if things have been tough in the past, they can make a different choice at any point for a better future. So would you share some of your story of your life up until the point where you started your copywriting business in your 50s and what kind of happened up until that point that made you finally say, enough is enough, I'm going to choose myself? Oh, so many things. And (laughs) there's not one bit of advantage that was built into my earlier years as far as having it be easy, you know, following footsteps of someone in my family, anything like that. So my family life was very disrupted. I was the youngest of four. And so I was the last one left with very heavy duty very unhealthy activities that were going on in my home as I was growing up. You can do the little checklist of things that might've happened to me in my growing up years, pretty much they all did. And so when I was 17 years old, I basically opened the bedroom window, went out. I happened to have a car because I'd been working as a clerk in a drugstore. So I had an older car and I drove myself to Seattle, went to court, got myself emancipated so I could make my own legal decisions and started trying to figure out how to take care of myself. It was not easy. And I, at that point, I didn't really understand anything about mindset or what m- might be possible. You know, I really grew up feeling like nothing was possible for mm-hmm. me. And I got a job in a hospital and I just began trying to live. I mean, I didn't have dental work done, things like that when I was younger. So I had to start taking care of really grown up stuff at this point by myself. And I made tons of mistakes. I didn't really see myself as having any particular future. I thought I'd love to go to college, had no idea how to do that. So I didn't. And um, worked in clerical jobs, worked in food service, ended up doing daycare eventually. So just some really classic women being channeled into certain kinds of work, right? That's what I did. Got married. I had two great kids, but did not have a happy relationship in a marriage. Kind of kept duplicating what I'd grown up with in certain ways. 
And so divorced in my 40s, met someone, hadn't been out in the world for almost 20 years. And when I kind of picked up signals of something's not right about this beginning budding relationship, I didn't trust myself. And this is one of those markers for a lesson. I didn't trust myself enough to believe what was coming through for me. I ended up being in a really horrendous, very horrendous, life-threatening domestic violence situation from that relationship that was less than a year, but completely disrupted my life. I almost lost my life. I had to run for my life with my children from this individual who was preparing to shoot me in the head, basically. We were living on a yacht. And in this process, I ended up in a domestic violence shelter. So I was homeless in my 40s, had to have my children taken care of in various ways with friends and family. Not really family, actually, because my family kind of blamed me for what had happened. So again, I was on my own with what to do with this. And this was definitely a defining moment for me, Lauren, because I, at that point, I knew I had to decide whether something in me told me, you're going to have to decide here if this is going to be your identity, if this is what you're going to take on as this is who I am and spend the rest of your life beating yourself up over this, or is it going to somehow propel me and is it going to help someone in some way someday, even if I have no idea right now what that might be. And somehow I managed to take that path, even though I was really emotionally and mentally in really bad shape for quite a while after that. That. I was stalked by this individual, my children and I, for a couple of years, actually. So moving on from that, I had to start figuring out how to have a life. I met my current husband, who is a wonderful man, and we had absolutely nothing. And so we started figuring out what could we do. And we started selling stuff. We did swap meets, you know, things like that. So I'm just saying I had no special experience, right? I'd never written anything for anyone unless you count writing a memo in an office setting or something like that. But I did a lot of face-to-face. -face. We ended up working on promotional tours for big ad agencies and it, we weren't selling anything except concepts and so experiences. So I did mm -hmm. Got Milk, the 100 City Cruise for Calcium. I did Vigidine, which was all about eye health. And I had to have a headset on, talk to an audience, attract them to a big event that was done by ad agencies. They were multi-million dollar tours. And I really learned how to connect with people in a different way. I learned different abilities that I had that I had no idea, like ending up being on television, being interviewed, that type of thing. But eventually that took its toll because it was very demanding physical work, had to set up the whole thing and then run the whole event also. How did you get into that? That seems so random. That was like through RV living. We started wow. traveling in an RV because of the stocking. And so I got my daughter into college. She got herself in, but we helped her get into college a year early. So she started college after a junior year. My son was already in school. They had to go on full tuition scholarships. We didn't have any money, right? So we started traveling because of the stocking situation. And so we saw an ad for they wanted RVers for this first tour we went on because they wanted you to travel along with your RV while on the tour. Wow. That's how we found it. And then one thing led to another because the people we worked with thought we did a good job. And so then there were other offers for these big ad agencies. So, you know, have you ever seen the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile? You know? Oh, yeah. Big time. We were connected with some of the people that were behind some of those kinds of tours, only they mm. did way bigger ones. The special vehicles were big. We did Willy Wonka in a Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and we did a tour for that. That was fun. But again, it was very physically demanding. And so mm -hmm. we had an old mobile home in Yuma, Arizona, and we went back there and just kind of, what am I going to do? Because my husband's also legally blind. And so I knew it was kind of up to me what was going right. to happen next. And so I was um, online and I was looking at just, what am I going to do? Looking for answers, you know, and I saw an article about copywriting and I had never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. It's copywriting with a W. It's actually the act of writing promotional materials, marketing materials, but when I read the article about what was possible with it, it was just kind of lit me up. It was like I immediately 
had the sense of knowing that I can do this and I'm mm. going to do this. That was kind of another big turning point for me because I made a decision that no matter what it took, I was going to be resourceful and I was going to figure out how to become a copywriter. And I'm kind of racing out to the living room and told my husband, I want to do this, but how are we going to do it? And it just so happened that I'd spent a few hundred dollars, had a little bit of money on a life coach that I had a few conversations with. When I told her my idea that what if I traveled in an RV and did this work and because we had an old RV at the time and she was like, that's so fascinating. And she was doing an event in Maine. We were in Arizona, but I didn't have the money to go to the event. She said, if you can get yourself here, I would like to give you five or 10 minutes to speak to my audience about what your plan is, because her whole thing was kind of about transformation as well. And so I did what any sane person would do to make this thing happen. We actually <laughs> sold our house. <laughs> And so I'm not saying everybody should do this, but really it was that important to me. Mm. And, and I just feel like there's lots of nuggets along the way here of what you should pay attention to. Unfortunately, my husband is just super supportive. He believes in me. And I felt like for a long time, nobody else did but him. And so Aww. he was like, okay, let's do it. I trust you. I trust that you can do this. And so I love your husband. Yeah, Hell yeah. Me too. <laughs> What's his name? Ron. His name oh, is Ron. Ron. Okay. Yeah. Everyone needs a Yay, Ron. Ron. Yay! <laughs> so uh, we just kind of started building a life together is what happened yeah. when we met each other. Well, you finally had a co-creator in all this. Your whole life, yeah. I feel like people had been deterring you from owning your light. And for the first time, somebody said, not only do I see that light in you, I want to help you shine it even more brightly. And that one person believing That's in what's you. happened as ongoing. I had yeah. to look outside of my original family, you know, the circle of friends kind of thing. I had to look to other sources to feed my soul and spirit and shine the light for me to follow. Because certainly plenty of other people have along the way once I realized that. Right. So I sold that old mobile home to the first people that looked at it. Something in me said, you're not going to sell this thing with green shag carpeting and plastic sinks and fake paneling and the walls, but we had a view. And that's one of the thing, reasons we had gotten into it. It had a gorgeous view of the desert, a golf course, saguaro cactus, the ones with the arms, you know, and uh, I sold the view. When I ran the ad, I sold the view and just picture yourself. I have a clock with this light on the hills and, you know, five o'clock somewhere, that whole deal. And, and the first people that came and looked at it said, we want it. And that's what fueled us to get to Maine. From Maine, I did my little event. First time I'd ever spoken in front of a group, nervous, and people started crying. They came you know, up around me saying, I never will forget it. A woman there said, you're golden, you're golden. And that was just like, no one had ever said anything like that to me ever in my life, except my husband. <laughs> Different words, but you know that, but he was very supportive, as I said. One of the speakers there was having an event in Las Vegas. And she said, I haven't been able to sell any tickets. You're going to be a copywriter. Do you think you could write a sales letter for me? Because I can't get any tickets sold. And I said, I will. I will do it. And even though I didn't really know how, I did it well enough that she sold out her event. And so, and I, just for small money, I didn't charge very much. I was just getting started, but she invited me to her event. I met someone there that got another client and it just started growing. And my very first year, I made multiple six figures from absolute nowhere. And no one was more surprised than me, but that was the beginning of the trajectory. What an incredible story, Tina. I mean, multiple times you were bringing tears to my eyes when you're sharing your story. Oh. Just the resilience you have, the sheer belief that it took to make happen what you've made happen and continue to make happen. I think there's so many things that people can learn from your story. First of all, 
A lot of people who go into some creative form of life have dealt with trauma. It's a great way to deal with traumas, to unleash your inner creative and to start to heal through whatever it is that your creativity of choice is. For anyone who's also recovering from trauma, whether it's domestic abuse or something else, what's your advice for them for how to start to go through it, heal, and believe in themselves again? I didn't know how to articulate this then, but what I realized is always along the way, I really trusted in that inner guidance. I do believe in something outside of ourselves. However you identify that, whether that's God, the universe, universal wisdom, I don't care what you call it. If you believe there's something outside of just little old me on the planet here today, gone tomorrow, end of the story, right? And so it's really your own words that you're saying to yourself about what happened to you also. Mm -hmm. And so when you're going through something like that, to be able to start to work with, this does not define me. This experience does not define who I am being, right? And it's really can be very challenging to do that at first. You really beat yourself up. How could this have happened? How could I have let this happen? Why did I let this happen? I did make a decision in my experience that was going to be the only one. I wasn't going back. I wasn't going to try and fix the person. And I've looked back at some of the things I wrote to myself, kind of journaling at that time. And I'm kind of appalled you know, when I read it now of how long it took me to move through that process of biting the urge to make a phone call or make some kind of contact. So I would say for anyone going through that type of trauma, you know, get whatever outside help you need for support, be with other people and understand, not judge you, but hold you up and support you and help shine that light for you about what's possible. One of my missions now is to add this to I've always given like to shelters and, you know, Christmas for a family. I don't know, you know, those kinds of things, but I want to get much more organized about that now and actually offer, I have copywriting programs, for example, to offer some scholarships for, especially for women going through this and start to show them there's a doorway. There's a doorway. Even if you have to just say to yourself each day, this experience does not define who I am. I'm not a survivor. I'm a thriver. You know, even starting with the very simplest messages that we start embedding in your brain about that experience, I would say it's going to take some time. It is super traumatic. And for me, I think what helped me is putting my children first, knowing I would do anything to keep them safe, just really finding a purpose. For me, what helped was I started really digging to find out what had happened to me. It's a whole other story, but I revealed to myself a whole history that I was just another cog in the wheel of repeated behavior that had happened many, many times before me. And I was just the next in line. I think, too, you know, something you said, you were saying really mean things to yourself when you started healing from it, because what happens a lot of the time is that other people who have been abusive to you or hurtful to you, their voices get so deeply ingrained in our psyche that they get rebranded as our own voice, even though they're the voice of someone who's been hurtful. How did you start bringing your own true, authentic voice back into your head so you could build that platform of self-love and belief? I can only say that I had divine guidance, really, because it's hard for me to pinpoint. I went to therapy. I went to counselors. I did all of those things. I tried medication. I got diagnosed with PTSD, things like that. Now, in retrospect, I think I could have done it much faster because of the awareness and the understanding I have continued to develop about what is really true about our thoughts, what's really true about our life. And that gets into a whole other arena. I'm fascinated with the neuroscience of how our brain works. And also just 
a different approach that really is, we are bombarded with thoughts all the time, thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. And even scientists can't say, well, where do they all come from? Where do all those thoughts come from? We can just have the most random thought, you know, we might just be walking down the street and think, well, I'd really like to go to Florida sometime. And, you know, where did that <laughs> thought come from? You know, it's just, you know, they don't always make sense. And so what happens is that we often and again, I'll say this in retrospect, I didn't have a full awareness of this at the time, but what we start to do is believe that our thoughts are in charge, right? Mm -hmm. Our thoughts are dictating who we are, our value, our self-worth, what's true and what's not true. And what's really true is that we're all connected at a certain level. We're all the same, all of us worldwide. And if we could just get that, you know, how this would add to creating peace in the world instead of so much disharmony that we see ongoing, right? And so understanding that you may feel a certain thing, the thought creates the feeling, but the feeling does not create who you are. It's kind of a like, get your mind wrapped around it. At least start practicing messaging to yourself that isn't hurtful. Right. You know, the words we say to ourselves are embedding in our brain. We're creating new neural pathways. And so creating a pathway that's instead of the old habit of, oh, I'm such a piece of crap, or how could this have happened? How was I so stupid? Things that we may say to ourselves on a daily basis, like, of course, this always happens to me. Well, naturally, this is what, would, you know, we've all probably experienced those times of thinking those kinds of toxic thoughts to ourselves. But if we can pay attention and notice, even start to notice when we're doing that and immediately decide, make a decision to think it differently. And what if you thought it differently? What if just for a moment you thought, you know, these are just thoughts. I can just let them flow by and I get to choose what I focus on for my being who I'm going to be. And I think it starts there because I didn't think I was much. And still, I'm not saying I'm, oh, wow, lofty perspective here, but I really did beat myself up a lot in so many ways. And these things feed into how we feel about our bodies, our looks, our age, all of these things, right? And it's part of how I ended up, what I'm doing now with this anti-retirement movement, the renegade boomer anti-retirement movement feeds into this as well. Ageism, you know, wow. expectations. Oh, you've been through domestic violence. Well, that must mean you are fill in the blank, you know, from right. this part of town, from this culture, from this educational background, from this age group, from, you know, there's so many labels that could be put on any of those things. And they are on a regular basis. But if we can start by not doing that to ourselves, we have a compassion and love for ourselves so that we start living, embodying compassion, embodying love. It's there in all of us. See, the thing is, we're not broken. None of us are broken. We feel like it a lot of the time. Our experiences make us feel that we're broken, but we all come into the world with the same potentiality, the same blank slate, the same love that we are love. That's who we are, you know, at our core, all of us. And if we can just find our way back to that and how we do that, that can change your life, really change your life. Yeah, I love that. Only we get to decide who we are. And I love the rewriting of every time that negative thought comes up, stopping it. You can literally say stop. Sometimes I do. Yeah, stop. You know, the rubber band trick. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and then saying something nice about yourself. Beautiful, beautiful advice. So let's get back to this light bulb moment where you just knew you were supposed to do copywriting. I always like to ask people, when you find your path, what did it feel like in your body? Like, how did you know? Because I think it's important for other people to have this understanding so that when it happens to them, they don't ignore it. What did it feel like in your body, in your soul when you realize, oh my gosh, this is for me? Energy. 
And that's the first word I would use as an increase of energy. So when people say, you know, we're all energy, some people think, oh, this is all so woo. This isn't real. No, it's real. We are. Everything is energy. We are energy. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Same as, you know, they can do an EKG tracing for your heart or MRIs or, you know, everything's there. We just can't see it, right? You turn on a light switch. You don't know how the electricity works, most of us, but it just happens, right? We breathe air every day. All of these things that we take for granted, but we can't see, but they're all made of energy. And so when I read this article, I literally started sweating okay, at a physical reaction of really high level of excitement and energy, just really feeling super energized and a real certainty just all the way through. Not like, gee, I wonder if that might be interesting. It was more like, yes, I'm going to do this thing. You know, I can't remember what author I read this from, but saying, you know, sometimes people think, oh, it's hard to make a decision. Well, first of all, what happens before you make a decision is insight. Okay. Mm -hmm. You could call it illumination. You could call it inspiration. You could call it a divine download, whatever you want to call that. But that insight that this is true for me. Yes, this. And from that insight, then you make a decision. I think the next thing is, okay, I've made a decision. I'm going to do this thing. And then from the decision comes choice. Now you're going to make choices about the decision now that you know where you're going. And so all of that happened very fast. It didn't take a long time for that part of this to happen. It was like, yes, we're going to do this. And I began that journey. But the coin thing I was going to mention, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know. I can't decide. I can't decide. So just imagine your imaginary quarter that you're going to flip in the air and heads is one yes and tails is no for whatever the thing is you're thinking about. And you may notice if you were to play the game with yourself and say, look, whatever it lands on, that's what I'm going to do. That the minute the coin is in the air, you're probably going to start to feel an eternal feeling of, oh, I hope it lands on heads or I hope it doesn't land on tails or whatever it might be. And there's a clue for you right there that you already know what you're being drawn to. So you're already activating that energetic field of, I hope it's this, even if it's subtle, that starts to tell you, okay, I already do know actually, <laughs> you know, or if it lands on the side, your imaginary coin or real one lands on the side, you really, really were hoping that it did not. And you're feeling that, oh, well, maybe I'll try it again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds kind of funny, but it really can help you just mentally even make a decision about something if you're kind of wavering, it, it help you clarify what that decision yeah. is. That's brilliant. So you start this business, it's all seeming like it's word of mouth at first. How did you grow and scale your business? Well, a word a lot of people don't like is networking, but, but I would call it relationship building, really. Right. But that is how I started because I went to that event. And so always leaning into even when you're scared within reason, there's a difference between fear and just kind of that agitated and little bit of anxiety kind of thing. It's not really fear, right? If a bus is coming at your direction and you feel fear, I need to get out of the street, then that's, you know, okay, let's pay attention to the fear. But if you're feeling that kind of like, I'm not sure, and just lean into it, lean into the feeling, don't be afraid to feel the feeling. And I hear you saying like, identify, well, where is that? Is it in my gut, or my heart, I have a headache? Yeah. What is it? Well, for you, what is the difference between fear and anxiety? Like, where do you feel really actually true fear and like intuition fear versus where is the anxiety living? Fear is when the domestic violence event happened. I knew yeah. all I hear on my neck stood up. I knew through and through it was going to happen. I was going to get shot in the head if I didn't figure out something instantly. And that was fear. Right. And anxiety is just really anticipating something that hasn't even happened. Yeah. You know, this is where all this thought business comes in because the thoughts, your habits of thought, the way you've always thought about stuff, you know, your typical fallback position to thinking goes into full blast because your brain has been trained to do that. It wants mm -hmm. to keep you safe. You know, your brain wants to keep you safe. So, oh, Tina's 
feeling nervous. Okay, get out those files. These are all the things that she's ever been anxious about. And this is what happened. So don't do it. Don't do it. You know, it's just faster than the blink of an eye. Your brain starts working overtime on your behalf to what it's been trained into because you've rained attention on that thought and really created a very powerful neural pathway in your brain that says, here's what we always do when this happens. And so if you can understand that you're not falling off a building, the bus isn't going to hit you, you're not about to be physically harmed by someone, you know, that's different. But mm -hmm. it, just a generalized kind of, I'm afraid to do this. You know, I still have all, I have my own things I get anxious about. It's a process that you just have to pay attention to because you can start to really just, what would happen if you just tried saying, you know, that's just a thought. That's mm. just a thought. Picture a river. Like, what if I just almost like putting a little paper boat in the there it goes, you know. <laughs> so the paper boats <laughs> the thought, and you just yeah, let it sail goes. away. There it goes. No judgments, no big reaction, and just then focusing on I'm going to peel back those layers of that thought. Even be curious about experimenting with what would it feel like if you just said, you know what, these are just thoughts, mm -hmm. and they're just everywhere. They're flying through all the time. They do not have to define us, and instead choose a different one. So calling it on its bluff, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then when you take the action that goes with that, you may start to find that things just get more and more comfortable because you realize we're not doing brain surgery here. Okay. We're just going to speak in front of a crowd or we're just going to try a new pathway with our career or whatever it might be. And so that's how I worked with it. Like I said, at the time, I couldn't have articulated it exactly in this way. And I continue to grow in this process myself. So these are kind of retrospective understandings that I've come to with this. Oh, yeah. Always keep growing. I mean, that's part of your brand and your your life's mission. So I love that. I'd like to tell you about the very first thing I did after that event, because that I got yeah. invited to is that a very famous copywriter by the name of Gary Ben Savanga. He's just an amazing man. He still has his own business now. He doesn't write copy for clients anymore, but he was having an event in New York City at the St. Regis Hotel. And the St. Regis is about $700 a night. They have a concierge on each floor, you know, if you need help with anything, you know, that whole thing. And here I was with no money. And I knew he was having an event called the Ben Savango 100. And it was his retirement party. He had never done an event before. It was supposed to be only for 100 guests. And through the grapevine, I was starting to know some people in copywriting. I knew that anybody who was anybody in the business was going to be there. And I determined I need to be there because I need to meet the kind of people that are going to be there and learn from Gary. Mm -hmm. The event was $5,000. I'd just gotten started. This was in 2005. Okay. So it seemed even more than it would be now. And he didn't take credit cards. I didn't have one anyway. You had to send a check. Wow. And you had to stay at the St. Regis. Well, you didn't have to, but that's where the event was. And so, you know, you had to get to New York. You had to get your hotel booked. And I just made a decision that I was going to be there. And so I had post-it notes that said, I'm at Gary Bensavengas. I have the $5,000. I was just getting started. I raised my rates so that I would make the money. I got the money. I sent in the check. I went to New York. I stayed at the St. Regis. And I went with the intention that I was going to create relationships, what we would call networking, by just talking to everybody and being prepared. I didn't have a website yet. I had a piece of a one pager that I wrote kind of like a little intro about me. And I was carrying it with me in a bag, in a, like a shoulder bag. I didn't have a website, didn't have business cards, but I had an intention. And I'd written that letter. I'd already written that letter. I think I told you in the first few months, I wrote a two-page letter that brought in $4 million to the client. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Wait, so, wait, so you got to tell me about that real quick. We have yeah. to take a side. <laughs> yeah. side what more. was in that letter? <laughs> 
It's two pages, okay? And actually, I used to give it away. I don't have it on my site anymore, but it was a direct mail. That means it went literally in the mail. It wasn't online for some property in Florida that everybody at that time was trying to buy. It was empty property that had been sold as vacation parcels, small monthly payment. Someday you'll build your dream home in Florida, right? In Lehigh Acres. So this individual, the client, was competing against like boiler rooms where like 50 to 60 people, like professionals, like calling everybody that had a contract on parcels of this land to buy it because now the developers wanted it. And these people are all over the world because guess where they'd all been? They'd all gone to Disney. They'd all gone to, to Florida for vacation. Oh, I want to live here someday. And so they were literally calling people all over the world and asking them to sign contracts to sell them the property. And so this guy had about $400,000 at his disposal to buy up the contracts. And so I wrote a two-page letter that went in the mail, basically asking to give him the contract. And there are certain things that I built into that message based on a famous copywriter that I was studying and kind of followed one of his examples. And I made an original for this client. Then I get a phone call like, Tina, what did you do? We have so much response. I don't know what I'm going to do. He needed to get investors to come in on it with him because they had $4 million worth of contracts from that two-page letter. And it happened in less than 30 days. So he made a million-dollar profit scared the living heck out of him because he was not prepared for that kind of, you know, so one of the lessons of marketing, you better be ready for the response because when it does happen, it can happen in a big way. But I had that letter and the copywriter I got the idea from was named Gary Halbert. Unfortunately, he passed away way too soon, but he was at the event. He was very, very well known. He was called the Prince of Print. And I took a copy of that two page letter because I knew he was going to be there. And it was called the dollar letter. You put a dollar in a corner with a paper clip. And there was just kind of a format that he had created. And I just followed the yellow brick road and wrote a letter similar to that format, but with original wording. And so at the event, I went up to him and instead of saying, can I get my picture taken with you? You know, I said, can I thank you? I would like to thank you for the concept of the dollar letter. Cause and if you'd be okay, I'd like to tell you what happened. So I showed him the letter. He was standing with another famous copywriter by the name of John Carlton. They were good buddies and colleagues. And they read the letter and they looked at me and they looked at each other. They looked at me and they said, you should license this. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. What does that mean? I had no idea. Right. And so he was so impressed with what had happened because I told him what had happened and how long I'd been a copywriter, which was like five months or something. He invited me to his event that was happening in Florida, as it would happen, and to be his guest. And he was going to ask if he could give the letter out as a bonus to attendees at his event. Well, of course, I said yes. So that's another thing of take the opportunities when they unfurl before you. And at that event, at Gary Bensavanga's event, I ended up with about $100,000 in client work from that one event that bloomed into even more in that ensuing year from the contacts I'd made there and also going to Gary Halbert's event and being introduced there and making contacts there. So I just kept doing that. I just kept going to events for my own learning. I invested in myself. Yes. So that I could have coaches and mentors because I knew I couldn't do this by myself of just out of my own head. How do I do all these things? And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then I started being learned how to write for launches. We had multi-million dollar launches because of the kind of copy and strategies they brought to that. So that is 100% how I did it was just making those connections and forming relationship and giving really great value to the people that I served. Tina, Wow. Your story is unbelievable. But one of the biggest things that I took away from everything that you've said so far, and especially what you just told me about the $5,000 event, is that you took illogical leaps of faith on yourself that turned yeah. out to be the best decisions you ever made. 
starting out with that few hundred dollar coach that you had that you said at that time you didn't really have the money, but you knew you needed a coach. So you really invested in yourself, even with when people, maybe even financial advisors would have said, this is a bad choice. Don't do this. Yeah, they probably would have. <laughs> you decided to go on faith and belief in yourself instead of making the logical choice. And so I just want to point this out for somebody listening right now. I'm not saying like, you know, you should invest your last dollar into something, but maybe you should. <laughs> well, you know, I would call it being resourceful. Yes. Be resourceful. Be resourceful. Like, okay. I sold a mobile home, you know, an old trailer house. And again, I always say, I'm not saying that's what anyone else should do. That's right. what felt right for us, but we did it. We didn't sit around going, oh, what should we? I don't know. Maybe next year. Because sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm just going to wait, you know, status quo, all that. There is no status quo. Nothing stays the same right? Mm -hmm. We think life looks like this solid thing, whatever your life looks like to you. It's kind of like this container of life, right? But it's changing all the time. Today, tomorrow, the next day, your life will be different. Life around you will be different. Uh, here's an example. Your life probably looks different now than it did when you were 12 or 13. Oh yeah. How you experienced life then was different than how you experience it now. And so it's always changing. And when people say, well, I'm just going to wait, they think they're staying like solidly rooted in one spot. And actually they're not because there is no absolute rooted in one spot. Everything is energy. Everything is fluid. Everything is moving. And so it's like momentum, right? And so you're either moving forward or in the case of kind of energetically backwards. So mm -hmm. sometimes when people say, well, I'm going to wait because this, that, and the other until I can till I lose 10 pounds, till, you know, I get married, till whatever it may be, they're actually losing ground. It's sort of like a bow and arrow, like you're pulling mm. back the bow, you're putting the energy into that. And then you decide, oh, I think I'll just wait. And instead, you're going to lose that energy, the arrow is probably going to fall out and clunk in the ground in front of you. If you really want to shoot the arrow, you're going to start again, you're going to have to regain the momentum, right, to let the arrow fly to the target. And it's the same with your life, that you're actually losing ground. And then you have to put the energy into getting back to where you were when you thought you were standing still. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great point. I love that. It's such a unique point of view. I do have a question, though, because I want to get into some of this ageism stuff because I think it's so important. And I love, too, first of all, that you said you just only recently, I watched your interview with Montel Williams, and on there oh. you said you just only recently started talking about this because you were even feeling a little afraid to talk about it. Can you share how you finally went out on a limb and said, you know what, no, I need to start being an advocate for 50 plus people to tell them their life isn't over. In fact, it's probably just begun. Yeah. And I absolutely fully admit to my own trepidations because of ageism, because it's a real thing. Because when people say how old they are, there's judgments just like that. Right. And really, we don't need to be defined by that. I just interviewed a conversation with someone the other day who's 82 years old and he's the head of a huge corporation. He said, uh, my retirement policy in my business is you have to retire at the age of 95. <laughs> And I said, so then do they go part-time after that? You know, it's, yeah. it, it's just really funny that we, and not really funny, but just ironic that people are like putting these boxes of what's supposed to happen at a certain age. And so, because I'm really reflecting my own path, I didn't mm -hmm. start till I was past 50. And I've often kidded, well, don't do the math when I say when I started, because it's not too hard to figure it out. But I find that even, even though I'm an advocate for this, I still have the same kinds of little, ooh, you know, right. sensations of some anxiety about, well, what if someone judged me because of this, or they think that or whatever. But overall, though, it's because now I'm really analyzing it. And 
the thing is, if you step into what you're called to do, whatever that may be, whatever that next creation is for you, whatever that next chapter could be for you, and you allow that energy to be the thing that's leading you, then some of that falls away kind of automatically because you're too busy doing the thing to sit there. It's a matter of choosing what you're going to focus on. Where are you going to put your intention and your focus, right? And I know there's a new book coming out. I can't remember the name of it right this second, but there is scientific research behind the fact that continuing to work in whatever capacity it looks like for you actually extends life. Okay. There was a big study in France that was done that 3.2% reduction in the risk of getting Alzheimer's for each year you work past a typical retirement, Uh, you know, things like that. That was actually a study that was done with thousands of people involved in the study. And so there's health reasons to do it. There's certainly financial reasons to do it. And for me, it's a calling. And so of knowing I still had so much more to share and more impact that I want to bring to the world because my journey has been evolving. My journey has been, you know, copywriter, marketing strategist, but what I always taught with it was mindset and a spiritual connection. It was like the bookends for the programs. And I started kidding that, you know, I have a copywriting, I have multiple copywriting programs, but they're really personal development programs disguised as copywriting program. Well, that's what I say this podcast is because to me, there's no creativity. If you don't love, know, and trust yourself, have some sort of connection with divine and you're in touch with your relationship with fear and taking it out of the driver's seat. So it's true. They're intrinsically related And I love this. Now, tell me, because like all of us, no matter what age we are, we have internalized ageism. Like I live in Los Angeles. When I turned 25, I started being afraid to tell people how old I was. 25. Your brain just got fully developed at 25. That's ridiculous. But how do we start to shed internalized ageism and notice it, first of all, and then shed it? Well, that's the thing, because What's weirdly ironic about the way our brains can work is that some of us will defend to the death, literally, our limitations, right? Oh, no, I couldn't do that because of this. Oh, no, you don't understand. I'm different. I'm that special snowflake, you know, whatever it may be. And if we can really just start to be aware that this is also just a way, sometimes it's literally self-sabotage. Sometimes it's based on if I never challenge myself, I won't disappoint myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I think a word we could lose from the English language is the word try, because to me, that's like the small print weasel clause of, well, I tried, but that, 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 whatever, march out the excuses, right? And this all comes from that barrage of thinking. Also the thoughts, the thoughts and the typical way we always thought it. So challenging yourself with that. See, here's the thing. Some of us need to continue to work and want to because financially, But I work so many really wealthy people that have made millions and millions, if not billions of dollars. And what I start to see along this journey also is while on the outside, it might look super successful and the inside, there were still the doubts, the lack of confidence, the whatever the thing is that they were wrestling with, what they're thinking. And I noticed a lack of loss really of who are they truly? Who are they? Their Mm -hmm. identity. So if you say like, you know, that saying of who do you think you are? You know, someone might say it like that, like, oh, who the heck do you think you are? But what if you just reframe the emphasis because I love words and the the power of language. It's like, who do you think you are? It's a whole different message, whole different message. And when you ask it that way, you can get like, well, I'm a CEO and I'm a founder and a mother and a grandfather and whatever it may be, but that's not who you are. 
your essence, your spirit, your soul is something much deeper than that. And this is how I've always approached copywriting, that we peel back the layers of what's really important here. What are we really selling? What are we really saying? You know, that's beyond the obvious. It's the same with us as individual humans, you know, spiritual beings having this experience of being human on this planet for right now, kind of a thing that came from somewhere and will go somewhere. And what happens though, for so many people is that they have become the identity has become the thing that they do instead of really being able to get to the essence of who they truly are and being that, that then becomes the doing and then has the result of the having because of what they're doing. And so if you think, and how do you identify that for yourself? And so this is what I do when I work with my one-on-one clients is we start, we're going to go into that space and find out what kind of thinking is happening that triggers all these other things that you might mm-hmm. think are the real reason, but really there's something else underneath that. And we're not talking therapy. If you need a therapist, get a therapist. If you need medication, get medication. I'm talking about just a journey of needing that mentoring or coaching, a guide. I think of myself as a guide with mm-hmm. this, right? And so that's why really coming back to what you said, why are you talking about it now? Because I continue to get older as well, and I don't see myself stopping. And the whole word retirement, I mean, that is a word that should be retired. So, yeah, tell me why you don't, you're anti-retirement. I agree with you. I think, though, people should retire from what they don't love, what isn't within their UESU, the spiritual you, and then start doing the thing that they do love, start believing in themselves. So tell me why you don't like retirement and how we can reframe it. That's the point right there, because it needs to be reinterpreted, Mm -hmm. reimagined, reframed, rewritten, rewired, all of it. But Social Security here in the United States started back in the early 40s, late 30s, somewhere right around there. And that's when our life expectancy was 61. And guess what? They set retirement age at 65. It's kind of like, yeah, okay. Retire when you're dead. Yeah, not very many people are going to make it. (laughs) Good plan. But that became the norm. That became what everyone expected. We're supposed to retire at 65. Now, a lot of people are like, I can't wait to retire. But see, to what you're saying, that's how I see it. It's a reimagining of what that looks like for ourselves. And it's for each person to say what that is for themselves. Maybe they want to be in a corporate setting. That's not my playground ever. You know, I don't play nicely with that setting. And so I really look at it from a more entrepreneurial way. And it might be because you still need to make money. It might be because you just want to have the impact. You've already made billions of dollars and you know that there's another meaningful thing that you wish to do. And it's a blending. It's not either or. It's not, well, you're either going to be sitting on the beach every single day in Florida drinking Mai Tais, or you're going to be working your butt off for 80 hours a week in the room with a long, shiny boardroom table and dealing with all the office politics. No, I say co-create your future. Co-create it the way you want it to look. Like I have a mobile office. I have a huge RV that we completely remodeled. I can work from anywhere. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. And so I can travel. I can work from wherever I am. We understand how to have that lifestyle freedom. And it doesn't have to be a full-time endeavor, or maybe it will be. You know, I read about one of the oldest living people in the world that was a Japanese physician. He only passed away not too long ago. He was 106 but he was still seeing patients, right? And he had an appointment book that had the dates on it for five years forwards. He just was going to keep doing what meant a lot to him, no matter what. You know, the statistics about how many people don't live too long after they fully retired, the thing they thought they wanted to do. Yeah. Well, my grandma, you know, worked part-time a lot of her life, but she was always hustling, doing a lot of different things, very creative. And she watched my cousin, Christopher, up until she was 80, And I'm not kidding you. Within a couple days after that, she started getting sick. 
And I'm not saying that that sickness wouldn't have eventually happened anyway. Yeah. But I think that loss of purpose, that loss of joy, because she loved watching him, did do something to her mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And how wonderful that she did it for that long. But you're kind of seeing a correlation of did she lose kind of the spark, right? Did she lose kind of her purpose? So if we can look at what does anti-retirement means, it means not losing purpose, maybe creating a new one, maybe bringing a spark into full flame for the thing that you really choose to do. Maybe you were an architect, you know, I've really always wanted to be a clothing designer, you know, maybe you were a teacher and you've always really just wanted to be a gardener. Whatever that looks like for each person, I would never say everybody should do it exactly like this. I help people find that path because a lot of times they don't know, but I just happen to bring a full array of marketing, (laughs) really high level marketing strategy and ability to it as well. So if they need that part, like, well, what do I do? How do I get found? What do I do online? You know, how do I transition from being a brick and mortar business to something that's online. For example, it might be, I know of a dentist that had built up a multi-million dollar practice and thought that he was doing it for his children. Wanted his children to go to dental school, gonna pass it on to the kids. Well, guess what none of the kids wanted to be, right? Can you guess? (laughs) I wanna go live in Valley, I wanna do this, I'm not doing that. And now he's got a multi-million dollar ball and chain. He doesn't wanna be a dentist anymore. The thing he thought he was doing it for no longer is true. What do I do? But he has all this knowledge. And so what I would see for someone like that with the right kind of conversation, perhaps if they still love the concept, but they don't want to do it anymore, how do I sell my business? Or how do I become a consultant and how you build a multi-million dollar dental practice so I can sell my business, do the consulting, go to Bali to see my kids? Yeah. It's kind of the have it all kind of a deal, right? hundred percent. That's just one example. And sometimes these things just kind of arise out of what we thought. We're kind of pulled in a direction, but stay open to what might be shown to you, mm-hmm. especially if you're tapping into that inspiration. When you say, why did you start doing this? Part of my mission, where part of this comes from, and I don't know if we have to say part of it, because really, ultimately, it's probably all of it. It comes to me from divine source. That's my belief in how I am inspired to do some of these things that it's shown to me in my own practice of prayerful meditation and free writing, what comes to me with that and literal names for things in my business, ideas, concepts, that type of thing. And so tapping into that, I call it the sparkles, right? It's like a sparkly canopy, but that you can tap into that universal wisdom. It's there for all of us. That wisdom is already in you. How can someone start to tap into that? Like if they don't know the first thing to do to start getting those kind of downloads, how do you start? I would start by getting quiet. And by getting quiet, I mean, trying to let the thoughts go by, not grabbing onto them and trying to analyze them, but just kind of getting into that peaceful space. Some people might call it meditation. Some people might call it prayer, whatever that looks for you. For me, it is like a prayerful meditation. And I teach the people I work with that you literally can ask the specific question, what would you have me know? What would you have me do? And just ask a simple question and allow whatever is coming in, just allow it. And after your time with that, it might be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, try just taking a tablet, just regular old pen and paper and start writing and write down whatever came to you from that time. You may be very surprised at what comes through because that universal wisdom is there. There's some people believe that there's no original thought. It's already thought and we're accessing that. Again, I'm going to emphasize, I believe that's divinely inspired. And so it's for each person to determine what this looks like for them and where they feel like they can go with it. But if you don't mind, I actually have this hanging on my wall because I remind myself of this. Can I read you something that came to me that way? Okay. 
Out of this trial by fire can be the realization that you have been chosen for something even bigger you are meant to do, sharing your unique blessings, gifts, and talents with the world, rising to embrace your calling, a celestial blueprint for success, different for everyone, ongoing, an eternal journey to stepping into your light, the path of light, a gift from God. That came to me through one of those moments. And it had so much meaning for me when I wrote it down. It's like, I didn't think that up. (laughs) I did not think that up. But I printed it out so I wouldn't forget. Because another thing I think can happen is what I call spiritual amnesia. We can have very profound experiences of understanding and wisdom that gets very clear. And then we forget. Yeah. And so we need to be reminded that this is a practice we can leverage every single day of our lives, not just when the chips are down or, you know, we need an answer for something. So I teach in my programs how to incorporate this concept. And then what I came to is that there are actually three levels of impact and three enters into a lot of my marketing and my thinking with this, that there's these three levels. And the first one was your guide and messenger for yourself from whatever that source is that you're tapping into, whatever comes to you, whatever answers you get, that guidance and messaging is meant for you. That's level one. Level two, if you're working with clients or whatever your business is, that you on behalf of that can be accessing knowledge and wisdom outside of the strategies, all the amazing strategies and tactics we have, accessing that inner wisdom on behalf of those you serve, whatever capacity that takes. And I'm not saying you have to say, oh, guess what? God told me this about your business or what we're supposed to do next. It's very much a personal process, but it impacts how you are working with that client, how you're serving them. There's a deeper level that starts entering into that. And the third level is whatever their business is or their mission is, how they're serving their audience, what you brought to them now is being imparted to their audience, their people, three levels of impact. And I truly believe this is how we can change the world. That If we're looking at it from that source, that's based in love, it's based in service, it's based in illumination of the path that we're meant to follow. That's powerful. I want to go to my mom because she did have some questions for you. My mom, Joanne, amazing human being. Let's answer Joanne's questions. Yes, let's. So let's say you were working with my mom, Joanne, one-on-one. I think a lot of times for her, She feels riddled with regret of the past where she feels like she hasn't done enough yet. And then it gets hard for her to even get started because she's thinking so much about, oh, my gosh, all those years have gone by. I'm past, you know, the time when I can start something new. Like, for instance, she wrote children's books and she's a brilliant author and so creative and still has a desire to publish those. How would you advise my mom or someone like my mom who is caught in the regret of the past, but still has a dream for going forward, but doesn't feel like they can or doesn't know where to start? Well, you know, the first thing is my heart immediately goes, of course you can still do this, Joanne. (laughs) But that's just my own brain saying, I can fix this. And then that's something that I'll take a step back from, because what I really want my clients to do is find that light in themselves. And mm-hmm. but so I'm the guide. I'm the lamplighter. I would start with, Joanne, let's talk about the thinking that you have, the habit of thought you have about the fact that it's too late, the habit of thought that involves the word regret. And what does that feel like? And what happened? Let's explore what would happen. Let's follow the breadcrumb trail where we show all the ways you have already been successful, all the things that have been very successful for you. You've raised a beautiful daughter that I see right here, for example, who's <laughs> talented and kind and loving. And that comes through, you know, you radiate that yourself, Lauren, that, and I'm sure your mother had something to do with creating Um, an atmosphere where that developed for you. So I would help Joanne go through a process of starting to let that light bulb go on for herself of, oh, 
Oh, okay. And then really unearthing what is it that you truly desire to do? And who do you need to be? Who do you need to become? And I don't mean by getting degrees and all that. I mean, internally, what shift needs to happen for who you are being that you then can carry into now you'll be able to do. What would that person do? What would that children's author, being that children's author, the one that brings a beautiful, magical world to children, being that person that says, I am a children's author, what would they do? They wouldn't just sit down and think about it. They would start doing something. What would that be? What would that look like? What could I help you see the light for on that so that you become that person that you're meant to be, that calling and understanding that time is just a construct that we've made. So we know what time to eat lunch and go to bed and brush our teeth and meet on Zoom and all those things, but we don't really understand how that works. And so one of the things I teach is that we can't create our future from our past by doing the old thinking and going back to the old stuff all the time doesn't create anything new. You can't create greater energy from the same energy source that a lesser energy source. It just doesn't work like that. This is the science of it. And so what I talk about is transcending and integrating. We transcend by bringing the threads of those things from before that serve us, not the ones that don't, but the things that do. And how do we integrate them into where we are right now and start creating right now today, because that's all we have. And so you have to already be envisioning where is it that we want to go and create your future from your future by starting to embody what that means in your being. I love it. That was so beautiful. And I know it's going to mean a lot to my mom. I hope so. Like I want to reach out and virtually hug your mom and say, Joanne, I want you to, too. Actually, I mean, we'll talk about it after, but I would love to treat her to a session with you if you have availability. So we'll talk about that. You call yourself the renegade boomer. (laughs) What does that mean? Why this title? Why is it important to you? There's a couple of, there's dual messaging, everything has duality, you know, the yin and yang, both sides of the coin, all of that. And so the surface level is that my mobile office, the brand of it happens to be renegade and, and it's all decked out for, you know, fabulous road trips and all that. But really the word renegade, even though some of us may put a negative connotation on that, really all it means is thinking outside the box, think being different, thinking differently than everybody else. And so just like when we're talking about ageism and what everyone else's perceptions are of what's supposed to happen, even for your mom, you know, that she's self inflicting this on herself of thinking it's too late, I'm too old, I can't do it, whatever the thoughts are that she might be having that she's constantly telling herself about this, that we want to think it in a different way. And so it's really all about not being afraid, understanding where the anxiety might be coming from and moving past that into taking action in a way that might be completely different than the rest of the world, so to speak, has been expecting of us, thinking of us. And this can get into those near and dear to you with family members, those that love you and mean well, but maybe they're not really believing in what your vision is, right? Mm. Maybe you're going to be kind of a little bit of renegade in your social group or your family because while everybody else is retiring and sitting playing cards and having happy hour, why aren't you, you know? I remember even when I was still just in my 50s, that because of our RV communities and some of the places we were with what I call the mobile office, there would be other people gathering for happy hour and all that. And I'd be working. I was in there writing or doing my thing, but yet it was obvious we were doing okay. Right. I remember one guy that we were a little bit sociable with, he came up to me and said, what are you doing? Selling drugs? Because they didn't see any visible <laughs> sign of me working. 
but they saw the rewards, some of the rewards, the outside rewards of my working. And it did feel like we were out of step. My husband and I felt like we were out of step with the rest of this social group because my husband loves marketing also. So even though he's not part of my business in that sense, we talk it all the time. We talk about it every day of what's happening with that and interesting things that are going on in the world with promotions and marketing and mindset and all those things. And so having the courage to be different and then finding your crowd, finding your tribe, your posse, whatever you want to call it, you know, that you're not the only one because, you know, sometimes we entrepreneurs can feel a little bit like, you know, here's to the crazy ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> to believe we can do whatever. And you need to be with like-minded people. You seriously do. I've always invested in myself in that way for mentorship, for masterminds, for different communities. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room, the richest person in the room. You want to be with people that continue to help you elevate your game as well. That's the whole renegade thing of just understanding that you can be a little different than what might be typical for people as they're approaching what typical retirement, whatever that means, retirement ages are. Yeah. Be yourself regardless of what other people are saying about it. I love that. So I could talk to you for hours, but I have to <laughs> wrap it up because we've already gone over time. You're incredible. Oh, I don't, I've lost track. Of We're in the flow, Lauren. We're you in, were the, in flow. the flow. This is my <laughs> final question for you. I think back to that version of you when you were in your 50s and you got that download that copywriting there's something happening. The energy opened you up and told you that this is the thing to go toward. If you could see that version of yourself, if you and that version of Tina were standing in the same room looking at each other, what do you think she would say to you now and why? I think she'd say, can I really do this? What's going to happen with this? Because this, you know, I think I can do it, but can I really? I actually was thinking that when you said that, I started thinking, what would I say to her? Because I'd say, oh, my darling girl, you have no idea how amazing this part of your journey is going to be. So don't let anything stop you. Never give up on this. It's not too late. You've only just begun. And I think that's beautiful messaging for any of us, no matter where we are. You've only just begun. It's never too late. Always keep going. And you have no idea how high you can fly. And Tina, I end every episode by telling my listeners that I believe in them because like Ron has been for you, I think, you know, having one person who believes in you can make all the difference. If somebody out there doesn't have that, I want to be that person until they can find that person in their own lives. So, but would you with me say, I believe in you to our listeners? Oh, absolutely. I do believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you and I hold space for you and I'll believe in you until you believe it more in yourself. Beautiful, Tina. Thank you for all you do for people of all ages to believe in themselves and know that they can start exactly where they are. They're Thank amazing. you so much for having me. We could talk for hours, I'm pretty we sure. <laughs> We're <laughs> very aligned. Me today. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to my guest, Tina Lorenz. For more info on Tina, follow her at the Tina Lorenz on Instagram and YouTube and visit her website, tinalorenz.com. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode of Unleash. You can follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guest at the Tina Lorenz so she can share as well. 
My wish for you this week is for you to realize that it is never too late to start your dream. I hope that you allow yourself to begin whatever that calling is in your heart today. Let Tina be your imaginary mentor until you can believe in yourself. She believes in you and so do I. I love you and I believe in you so much. Talk with you next week.